The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. You know, there's some uh, dangers or uh, pitfalls, maybe I could put it that way, uh, around the preaching of the gospel. It wouldn't seem so since the gospel brings us life, but there's some pitfalls we can fall into as we preach the gospel. The first one is this, that we, can, we emphasize the confession of sin, which is obviously necessary for the preaching of the gospel. We have to come to the end of ourselves and realize our need before God. So we preach the confession of sin, it's essential, but then it's possible that we see life only in terms of what's wrong with the world. We so emphasize sin that we think that everything's wrong. That's a pitfall that we can fall into, a danger of preaching the gospel. And then second, related to it, we focus so intently on heaven, such a great thing, isn't it? I mean, I'd love to be there right now and just be done with all the sorrows of this life and all the pains and all the trials and all the traumas we go through I just think about heaven, think about how awesome that is. I want to be there. It's awesome to think about that, but we focus so intently on heaven that it's possible to forget that God has blessed us with so much in this life that's good. Now, do you see those two pitfalls of preaching the gospel, that we can go down that road a little bit too far? And as we heard in message one, of course, uh, in this new series, uh, there is Um, really so many, there are so many things to lament in this life and no one is denying that. But there are also a good many things in our lives that are praiseworthy. There's so many good things that God has given to us that we should enjoy and we should thank him for. And that's exactly where we're going today in our study of Psalm 103. Psalm 103 takes us there, exalting him for what is good in our lives, what is great in our lives, what's awesome in our lives. And I hope you can see all the great things that God has done for you. I hope that you've come here today and woken up on another day just so grateful for what God has given to you. But if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling to be grateful, struggling to see what God is doing that's good in your life, then this psalm, I believe, is gonna be a helpful reminder to you of all of these things with a strong exhortation to all of us today to, listen now, exalt the Lord. Exalt the Lord. That's the whole thing we're going after. It's the main point of this psalm. It's to point us to the exaltation of the Lord. And are you doing that? In your life, is, is exaltation of God something that's preeminent and first? Are you into it? Is it the pattern of your life to exalt the Lord? And we front-loaded the message here today to allow for an appropriate expression of praise and worship as a response to the Word. I mean, this is a message about exalting the Lord, so the proper response would be to exalt the Lord. So, So we'll hear the message. We've already just done two songs. It's pretty early in the service still. We're going to do the message. Then we're going to respond to the Lord with worship. Sound good? All right. That's where we're going to go with it. So let's start with this then. Um, exalt him with all that you are and all that you have. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now let's break that first verse down. Um, Let's start with the word bless. Uh, If you're carrying a New International Version, you might see the word praise there. Uh, Praise the Lord, uh, as opposed to bless the Lord. And um, it's more than praise, actually. The word bless is packed with meaning that really goes beyond the word praise. It's, It's more than that. It's, it's to exalt, it's to lift high the Lord. Want to really understand this word because I would admit that there were times when I came to the scriptures and I saw this idea of blessing God and I, I would think in my mind, how can we bless God? I mean, I know how he blesses me and I don't see how the word can work for him because I know that blessing, blessing is really this. It's, uh, it's you're enriched, you're better off than you were before. When God blesses you, he's enriched your life. He's giving you something you didn't have before. When we say that to someone else, uh, God bless you, what we're really saying is, wherever you're at right now, I hope that gets better. That's what it means to tell someone, I I hope you're blessed. I hope God blesses you. I want to bless you. I I feel like you're here. I want to give you this. I want to bless you with this. I want you to have more. And so we understand the idea of blessing and how that works for us, but when God is blessed, As it says here, bless the Lord, do we not understand that God cannot be enriched by anything that we say? That God can't have more of anything because he's already perfect, he already has everything, he's the source of everything, he made everything, and so in blessing him, we're we're not saying, God, I hope your life is better now that I blessed you, because his life can't get better. And so that's not really what it's about at all, but to bless the Lord is to express gratitude, admiration, and adoration for the Lord. It is an exclamation of what already is. What we're just coming to realize. When we say bless the Lord, it's like I just discovered something awesome about you I didn't know before. And and you're blessed, you're already blessed. Bless the Lord. That's really what it is. I'm acknowledging things as I as I understand them, as I grasp them, realizing that he's awesome in every way, it is a declaration, God, you are blessed when we say this. Piper says to, uh, John Piper said to, 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 um, to exalt the Lord is to joyfully announce all these good things about God. So I'm proclaiming them, I'm announcing them. Look what I just found out about him. So we magnify him, we exalt him. We recognize his magnificence. We recognize his glorious status as the king of the universe. And the one and only source of all blessing. Bless the Lord. That's what that means. So you feel like you got a grasp on that? You want me to go over it again? You got a grasp on it? I can move on? All right. So let's keep breaking down this verse. We got that, the blessing part. Now see that you have to do it with your, bless the Lord, oh my, you have to do it with your soul. Not with soul, that's different. You wouldn't want to see me try that at all. That would be horribly embarrassing. You're going to do it with your soul. So this is not, if you're going to do it with your soul, this is not simply an outward expression. It's not like just a physical thing. It's not not the singing, it's not the hand raising, it's not the shuffling of the feet or all all out dancing. It's it's not those things. That's, That's the physical part of this. 
That can't be first. That follows. It's part of it, but it's not the whole thing. And so it is physical, but this is praise coming from deep within. The title of the series is Out of the Depths. And so this is praise of God. It's blessing toward God. It's the exaltation of God from deep within, out of the depths of my soul. And so physical, yes, but also emotion. Also emotion. And when he says, oh, my soul. I mean, the only reason why you put, oh, in there is because it's emotion. In fact, I checked. The part of speech that we're talking about here, for all the grammar freaks here, uh, this is, oh, is an interjection that expresses sudden, intense, what? Emotion. Emotion. It's right in the text. This is an emotional expression of worship and exaltation to the Lord, and And so it's physical, it's emotional, it's well thought out. Uh, The mind is engaged in this. Again, we're looking at a psalm. It's a a poem, it's a song. Now, bar none, okay, I'm going to take you back to high school. Maybe you're still in high school, just finishing up for the year. But bar none, the worst unit in high school English, worst unit was poetry unit. Worst unit of all, there's like, in a class of 30, there's two kids who like poetry, right? 28 of us hate it, okay? And so, because we don't get it. We don't get it. They read it to us. They read it to us again. They read it to us differently. I don't get it. I don't understand the images. I don't know the language. What the heck is that word? No one's ever heard that before. I, I don't get it. And, and so, but even though I don't get it, and, and, and even though it was the worst unit for me, the thing I can appreciate it about it is this, that this poet just didn't sit down and scratch this out on a napkin. That whoever the poet is, they thought it through and they labored over words and over images and it's well-crafted and it does have meaning for the poet and for the one reading the poetry if they get it, if they're one of those two kids. But there's a lot of labor that went into it. There's a lot of thinking that when it, it, it's well thought out. And when we think about Psalm 103, you have to understand this. The psalmist didn't just, didn't just write this out on a napkin. That it's, it's structured. There's rhythm. There's, there's, um, there's content that was thought over and considered. And, and for every word that's on the page, you can imagine there's 10 or 12 that he left on the cutting room floor as he edited it and crafted this and thought through the very message he wanted to communicate in the exaltation of the Lord in Psalm 103. His mind is engaged in worship. And so physical, yes, emotional, yes, mind engaged. And then, notice, it's an act of the person's will. Not not forced to do this, not feeling coerced, but wanting to. Want to worship the Lord. So you think about all of this going on now. It's, it's bless the Lord, oh my soul. It's not just physical, but it's the entirety of my being. And in fact, that's what he says next. All that is within me, bless his holy name. All 
that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now I know the objection. And it comes from a certain quarter of the church where people are like, I don't know about emotion and worship. I don't think we should get too carried away. I don't want to see, see people dancing in the aisles. I don't, I don't like all the shouting. I get it. There's some people over here who are like, kind of like, I, I want to be so careful about expressing it in a way that's inappropriate. But the psalmist doesn't seem troubled by that at all. All that is within me, bless his holy name. We're not being swept up by the emotion of a group experience. We're not just giving in to peer pressure. We're seeking to act biblically in our worship. Because this is the way God created us. Every single element that we're speaking of here, the mind, the will, the emotions, the body, did God not create all four of those inside of us? Is that not who we are as his creation? You can see that in the way people respond to other things. Watch the video for a second. Nashville Predators fans, hockey in Tennessee, USA. They're, they're going mental for a hockey team. I'm a big hockey fan, but it doesn't matter. It's just hockey. It's just entertainment. 19,000 people, first time they've been in the Stanley Cup Finals. 19,000 people in the building. Listen now, 50,000 people outside the building. Tennessee, who knew? All, you see the passion? You see the passion and the devotion to it? All that is within me cheer for the Nashville Predators. How about this picture? Some of you will recognize this. If you're a Cubs fan or you're aware of baseball and after more than 100 years of the Chicago Cubs being the laughingstock of the major leagues for never getting there again, they won the World Series, and however many people, can you see my son Luke? He's in that picture. <laughs> Back left, I think. This is Grant Park in Chicago after they won the series, a massive rally, the city all but shut down over a baseball team winning a championship. All that is within me, cheer for the Chicago Cubs. Or, or how about this? These are believers. Believers. You know what believers are? Did I get that right? I'm embarrassed that I know that word. I mean, if I was to translate this into 1960s, when I was born, it was those girls going absolutely crazy and screaming into the cameras when the Beatles arrived for the first time in the United States. Remember that picture? All that is within me Scream for Justin Bieber. <laughs> or, do you know what these people are doing? This is in London, England. And they're awaiting the announcement of the birth of Prince George. 
do you think they'll get to see him? (laughs) And yet they're waiting there for hours in this massive throng of people. Admittedly, he's adorable. He really is. But really, this kind of passion, this kind of devotion, all that is within me, welcome the young prince. Or how about this one? 91 years old, she's chained to a tree. She's literally a tree hugger. (laughs) 91 years old. All that is within me, save the tree. Black Friday. (laughs) Next slide. (laughs) This past week, we commemorated the D-Day invasions again. June 6, 1944. What does it take for a man or a woman to run into battle? What does it take to enlist, to carry a gun, to say, I'm going to run into enemy fire and take a beach? What kind of devotion does that require? All that is within me, storm the beach. You see, you get the idea, right? People are willing to. Employ every part of who they are, mind, will, emotions. Give their body for the things that they're devoted to. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Is that true for you? Is that where you're at in your life? Start analyzing it right now and just go, that's me, I'm all in. Or maybe you're saying, I'm falling a little short of that mark, or a lot short of it. What can we do to fix that? Well, in your notes, if you could just write the four words that we've just been talking about here, just kind of in a line, just kind of like this. Maybe put a little box beside each of the words. I will exalt the Lord with my mind. If if you would say, that's kind of me, I'm into the word and I think hard about the lyrics I'm singing and I memorize the word uh, sometimes and I certainly meditate on it and I think about it and I talk to other people about it, I'm interacting around the word. In other words, I'm engaging my mind in the exaltation of Jesus Christ. If that's you, give yourself a check mark. If it's not you, then write something on the blank just to say, you know what, I could improve in this area. I think I could be doing this more. Maybe it's as simple as I just need to read the word of God more often. I need to get regular in my reading of the word. It could be something else for you, like the memorizing of scripture or meditating on it, whatever it is. Write something on the blank. Maybe it's about your will. Now, you made a good decision this morning and you decided to come here as an act of your will, but I hope you're here willingly. I hope you don't feel coerced to be here. I hope you don't feel like this is an obligation. I hope you want to be here. I hope you love Jesus so much that you can't even imagine being anyplace else. You see, that comes down to an act of the will. Have you decided to be here? Is this the very place of all the places on the planet that you could be? It's exactly where I want to be. Is your will aligned with the Lord? If, it's, if it is, if that's where you're at, give yourself a check mark. If it isn't, then listen, put something in the blank. It's gonna help you get your will aligned with the Lord and with the exaltation of Christ a little bit more. How about your emotions? Where are your emotions at with all of this? Do you, do you show anything when you worship him? 
do, do you feel, I get it that, I get it that we have different traditions that we've come out of, and I get that we have different temperaments as people, and God fashions us differently, and some of us are more emotive than other people. I'm a pretty emotive, expressive guy, I get that. I get that I like to show my emotions, I like to express that pretty outwardly. Not everybody's like that. But I just want you to, to be careful and think about standing before the Lord saying, you know, that just wasn't my tradition, Lord. It just wasn't my temperament to show any affect at all during worship. Because some of you, in your exaltation of the Lord, look like you're rehearsing for that job outside Buckingham Palace, the, the guy in the big furry hat guy. Hello? Anything? Anything? I mean, that's you in worship. You're standing guard for something. I don't know what. Is there anything there? I have a good friend. I've told you this story before. Um, dear mentor of mine, and once in a while, he would ask me, like he, he's uh, one of the kind of person who's not afraid to ask the hard questions. And he'd say to me every once in a while, have there been tears? Have there been tears? And what he means by that is in my time with the Lord, as I'm reading the scriptures and as I'm praying, have there been tears recently? And it always concerns me. I think about that and I just go, you know, it's been a while since there have been tears when I felt something so deeply in the reading of Scripture that tears have stained my Bible or I've been praying so earnestly for something that tears have stained my journal. And I seriously get concerned when that hasn't happened for a while. Does nothing move me? The emotions should be there. Don't let your traditions or your temperament hold you back from that. And then... Uh, finally, uh, your body. Again, the emotions and the body is your body expressing the fact that you're actually excited about Jesus. I mean, again, you, you might see me. I'm not afraid to clap my hands. I'm not afraid to lift my hands. I remember when I was. I remember being in my Baptist church and just the very first time. And, you know, it's your first time. You don't really raise it that high. I'm going to try this out, see how this works. I don't want everybody around me to know that I have my hand up. That's fine. It's like training wheels, okay? This is, this is worship training wheels right here. Just a little, just like this, just like this, not too high. But eventually, you know, and I'm not saying you have to, and the scriptures don't command you. They suggest, they recommend, they observe that people lift their hands. It's fine, just do it. I like to move around a little bit. Uh, when, I, when I'm worshiping, but that's because I'm a fidgety person too. Uh, basically, the reason why I became a preaching pastor is guy I can't sit through church. <laughs> and I was called by God. Both of those things. Okay, both of those things. Just show it a little bit. Show it. Show the emotion with your body. Mind, will, emotions, body, what can you put on the blank? If you're doing well at that, give yourself a check mark. If you're not, find something that you can do that's going to move that a little bit further down the road for you. Exalt him with all that you are and all that you have. Is that enough with point one? Ready for number two? Ready to go? All right, now the rationale for blessing him comes hard and fast in the next several verses. Exalt him for all that he is. And all that he's done, could I add this, and all that he's doing? Is he not doing some awesome things in these days for all that he's doing? So let's, let's read a little bit more here, verses 2 through 8. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, 
who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Exalt him for all that he is and all that he's done. You can see a list emerging here. He says again, he repeats, bless the Lord, O my soul, and adds this, forget not all his benefits. Then he begins to list these benefits. So let's build a little list. Let's call this a God's seven benefits. And as we go through these, tell me that you should not be exalting him for the awesome things that he's done for you, okay, and who he is. So let's start with this. Number one, God's seven benefits. He forgives me. Verse three said it. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who forgives all, all your iniquity. He's forgave your sins. See, the problem was that we were separated from God, severed our relationship with him as a result of our sin. And the only way to get into relationship with him is that that problem is solved and we get forgiven of sins. Of the seven things I'm gonna share with you, it's, it's not a mistake that this is number one. Because of all the benefits that he gives to you, this is number one most awesome. He forgave me. He forgave me. How about this one, number two, he heals me. Who heals all your diseases. You know what, he hasn't healed all my diseases, you might be thinking right here, but ultimately, now we need to get God's timing on this, amen? God's timing. He heals all your diseases. Will God heal all your diseases? Will he? He's gonna heal all of them. By the time you get to eternity and you have your glorified body and everything's been made perfect, until that day, the body is still subject to sin in this world and is in decay from the moment we're born. But someday he's gonna heal all your diseases and then once in a while, as a surprise, as an extra blessing, as an act of his grace, once in a while he heals people. It's awesome. He heals all of our diseases. He forgives me. He heals me. Thirdly, he protects me. Verse four, who redeems your life from the pit. You were in a pit. You were in a bad place. And he redeems that and puts you in a better place. Now that applies at so many levels, but I think about all the times we pray, God protect us and keep us safe along the road and all those prayers, watch over our kids and all of this and Maybe you can point to some times in your life where you just know God protected us. There was this thing happened and over here and then this and God protected us. Maybe you have that story. But I'm looking forward to getting to eternity and kind of looking back on the, on the tape of my life, just looking back on that and seeing the hundreds, if not thousands of times that I'm not even aware of that God protected me. You think that's true for you too? That God's just been... On, at times just wrapping you in bubble wrap and making sure you're safe. Can't wait to see that. He, he protects me for he esteems me. Look at verse four, the latter part there. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He crowns you. Forget Prince George. You're a prince. You're a princess. You're a son and daughter of the king. 
whatever identity issues you have, whatever struggles you have over your place in the world and how you fit and what people have told you and how beaten down you feel, you need to know he esteems you. He takes the humble and lifts them up. That's awesome. What a benefit he gives us. Number five, he provides for me. The first part of verse five, he satisfies you with good. So many things that God provides for us. It starts with our daily bread and and moves on to so much more. Number six, he strengthens me so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He satisfies you with good, provides for you so that your youth is renewed like, so that you're strong in the face of whatever's coming your way. Whatever trial comes your way, God will meet you there and walk through it every step of the way. Every bit of wisdom you need, God has promised to provide it. Every assurance that you're lacking, he'll give it to you. He will provide for you in every way and strengthen you in the moment to face it. And then finally this, he vindicates me. Verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, so much injustice in the world, so many people who have been hurt and offended, who have been wounded by others. And if you're here today and you're bearing the wounds that someone has inflicted on you, something unjust has happened to you, God will vindicate that. If your cause is just, if what you were doing was right and you were harmed by another, Let me assure you that truth and time walk hand in hand and in the end God will vindicate all who have been oppressed, all who have faced injustice of all kinds. You don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to come with all your arguments. God will vindicate you. Be patient and trust in him. These are God's seven benefits that he gives us in having listed them, articulated them here. He then uses an example to illustrate it, which we could think about. Verse seven, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. We've seen this play out throughout the Hebrew scriptures, throughout the history of the people of God. God gave his seven benefits to Moses, the leader of God's people. God gave his seven benefits to the people of Israel, the people he loved. God's given his seven benefits to the church of Jesus Christ. God has given his seven benefits to everyone who follows him. That's the history. That's the testimony. Verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In in everything that he's doing, this is the means by which he does it. He does it as an act of mercy. Let's distinguish these two words. He does it as an act of mercy. Mercy is this, not getting what I do deserve. That's mercy. I'm not getting what I do deserve. What do I deserve? Well, because of my sin, I deserve condemnation. I deserve judgment. I deserve hell. I deserve to die I deserve to be separated from him for eternity because of my sin. But mercy is, I don't get that. Grace is the opposite. I do get what I don't deserve. And in this case, the seven benefits. God gives us all of this. His protection, his strengthening, his his, his guidance, his forgiveness, his healing, all of this is given to me. 
It's an act of his grace. I don't deserve these things, but he, he gives them to me. That's the means, and the foundation of all of that, notice, is the steadfast love of the Lord. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is the, the covenant faithfulness of God. This is the Hebrew word we've talked about before, the chesed of God. He said he'd bless us, and he did, and he does, and he will bless us simply because he said so. His promise is sure, his covenant intact, and not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done and because of who he is. The description of his mercy and grace actually goes on in the next few verses. Verse 9, he will not always chide or rebuke us. He will keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's the mercy of God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. You can see his grace in that. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He's angry about sin, but that's not going to last forever, the verses tell us. His justice demands a price. But in Jesus Christ, with the perspective we have looking back on the Psalms now, in Jesus Christ, he took the penalty for us. He paid the price. He took our sin upon himself, satisfying the wrath of God. He atoned for us, covering our sin with his own blood. His justice demands a price, but in Jesus the price was paid. And so, verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities because of Jesus. The covenant is further affirmed in verse 11. And we receive a promise that he'll never bring our sins up against us again. He'll never bring our sins up against us again. He'll never bring your sins up against you again. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes them. He can't forget them, of course, because he's God, but he's choosing to not bring them up against you again because that's in his nature to forgive. That's his plan. Now, as we work through that whole list, as we think about his grace and his mercy and the covenant he has for us, were you thinking of those benefits in terms of your own life? And does it cause something to well up inside of your own soul, in the depths of your being, to exalt him for that? Because it should. We're not quite done with who he is and what he's done because you also need to see this. Exalt him for loving you deeply and holding you fast. This actually might be the thing that someone came here this morning to hear because this might be where there's a struggle, that you're having a hard time believing that you're loved or that God has you in the grip of his hand. But this is what we see in verses 13 through 18. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. 
The wind passes over it and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. We have a tender image here of a father showing compassion to his children and God wants us to hear that this is him and us. But it's for those who fear him. He makes that clear that this is for those who have a reverential awe of God. Those who are inclined by salvation because of relationship to exalt him and to bless him. You're you're a believer. You have faith in him. You're walking with him. You're following him. This is 100% about those who are believers. And so don't expect these benefits if you've not made that decision. If you've not chosen to follow Christ, these will not come your way. And don't expect to be able to muster up enough of whatever you think you need to exalt the Lord in some artificial, contrived way. Don't think that you can fake this. You might be able to fool some people around you, but you'll never be able to fool God because he knows our hearts. This is about you being in a relationship and confirmed in that relationship with the Lord so that you can have these assurances that he loves you deeply and holds you fast. See, if that's true for you, then you have these rock-solid assurances from here, from him, verses 14 through 16. You notice what it says. He knows our frame. He, he knows we're dust. He knows we're like grass. We're like flowers. We're there for a little while. Then the wind comes and blows us away, and you look for the spot. Where was that flower? Where was that grass? Uh, there's no markings. There's no evidence. Just gone. And by that, the psalmist is pointing out that we're weak. We're fragile. We're vulnerable. We're mortal. Medical science has made incredible advances in the five plus decades that I've been on this earth and new medical procedures that weren't there when I was a child and, and drugs that help us live our lives in a better way. And despite all of the advances over the last half century, it is also true that the life expectancy rate has only gone up like a little because there's all kinds of new things that come up that I don't know about. And there's still so much that they can't treat and can't do anything about. Because we're weak, and we're fragile, and we're vulnerable. In some cases now, we're creating the bugs that are killing us. Because we're treating other things. Because we're mortal. And God knows our frame. He knows we're dust. We think about the blessing it is to live in this country and so many other parts of the world are just not as safe as, as, it, as it is here in our country and we should thank God for that for sure. I think about the CTV Barry News and when I watch it sometimes I chuckle because it's usually a story about an eight-year-old who lost a balloon or something. 
There's a pothole on Ann Street. It's like, a, like those are the big stories, you know? And you kind of chuckle at it and then you step back and I always step back and I go, I'm so thankful that that's the major news story in our city. And I'm so blessed that I get to live here where a lost balloon in a pothole is the thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? But is it not right on our doorstep and could it not happen at any moment? And is it not just down the road in the major city that's south of us? Haven't we learned already that when we thwart the ther- terrorists in one way, they come at us a different way? Have we not figured out when the criminals no longer can do one thing, they find a new way to hurt us? Don't we realize that no amount of police and no amount of armed forces are going to protect us fully? Because we're weak and we're fragile and we're vulnerable and we're mortal. And God knows our frame. He knows we're dust. So for the third time in the psalm, he reminds us about the covenant. And he's saying to us again, remember the promise I made you? I'm going to keep it. Verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Nothing is going to change my love for you. But again, he says it, it's for those who fear him. His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep covenant, to those who do his commandments, to those who are living in the way of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know you're loved, if you want to have all that God has for you, if you want God to keep promises toward you, if you want all of his benefits, and you're not sitting in a place of assurance that you have those things right now, then reach out to him and in faith right now call out to him and say, I'm a sinner and I need you, Jesus, to save me. Don't delay another minute from doing that. Give your life to him right now and pledge to follow him. See, obviously this psalm is for believers to move us to a new level of exaltation of the Lord. But it seems just as obvious to me that this is an appeal to those who are not yet believers to get on this exalting of Jesus program. To exalt him with all that you are and all that you have. Well, the grand conclusion comes in verse 19 and following as the psalmist really busts out in praise and worship for this God who has done so much and is so much to him. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Four times now he's gonna say, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is an all-out appeal for all of heaven and all of the earth to exalt the name of the Lord, to bless him. And you can see this threefold structure throughout the psalm, this threefold structure of praise. 
Bernhard Anderson said this, it is God's faithfulness that endows the individual's life, the history of the people, and the whole cosmos with ultimate meaning. This is an appeal for the individual, for you and for me to exalt the Lord. This is an appeal for the people of God, the community of faith, to exalt and bless the name of the Lord. And this is, in fact, an appeal to the entire creation, to the cosmos itself, to worship the Lord, to exalt him. And as I was studying this, I couldn't help but think about Luke 19. In that passage near the end of the chapter, this is the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. This is what we call Palm Sunday, just days before he'll be crucified and a week before his resurrection. He's coming into the city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and people are all along the sides of the road. They're waving palm branches, and they're laying them down on the road in front of him, and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now listen, we're studying Luke's gospel, so we know what happens next, right? All the people are excited, Jesus is coming in, and there's a Pharisee there who's not happy. You can just imagine the Pharisee kind of walking up beside Jesus as the donkey is carrying him along, and all the people are shouting and waving the branches, and the Pharisee says, teacher, stop them. Stop them from doing this. Don't receive this praise. Rebuke your disciples the Pharisee said, because they weren't too fired up about all of his benefits. They had forgotten Psalm 103 and they were no longer exalting the name of the Lord because they were on their own program. Do you remember what Jesus said? Because we're, we're thinking about the individual and the community praising him. We're thinking about the whole cosmos. Do you, remember, do you remember what Jesus said? If they do not praise me, the very stones, the rocks will cry out. The creation itself will lift its voice in praise to the creator. The creation will exalt him if we do not. And in fact, that's where it comes right down to this. And we're going to worship in just a moment. But listen, it comes right down to this. I need your attention. The very last line, do you see it there? He ends where he started. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The singular, personal pronoun. You should have that line underlined in your Bible and the word my, that personal pronoun. Have that circled because it points right at you and me. Yes, the community should praise him. Yes, the creation will sing out, but it comes down to a decision that you're gonna make right now. Will you exalt him for who he is and what he's done with all you are and all you have. Will you do that right now? I'm not gonna close in prayer. I'm not gonna ask God to do something in your lives. I'm just gonna ask you to do it. I'm gonna ask Pastor Jordan and the team to lead us now in an extended time of worship and you face the decision to apply this message, not when you go home tonight or this week, not to think about it anymore, but to engage in the exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you, church? Will you exalt him? Will you worship him? With all that you are and all that you have, all that is within me. Bless his holy name.
Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.